Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome back to another edition of of the Holtzcast. Cole Petum here. As always, I've given Danny Raza the night off. How generous of me. Of course, he's at home messaging me as I speak, freaking out. So I'm sure I'll hear more about that later. But of course, we're changing things up here. We actually have our FPL League sponsor here today, and that is Sean from 1211 Kits. Sean, how are you doing? Um, uh, mixed feelings after, after tonight, mate. Mixed feelings. Yeah, no, I think a lot of Villa fans are going to feel a variety of... Uh, Variety of feelings, some PG, some not so. So we'll we'll kind of get to those um, in due course of, of course, I should say. But nonetheless, it's West Ham United two, Aston Villa one at the London Stadium. Uh, a game of missed chances, a game of VAR coming up once again, and for what many people may feel is screwing us over once again. But uh, to kind of put, uh, we'll start with the first half to kind of get things uh, going here, Sean. And I guess we can start very early because two minutes in, we concede from what can only be described again as uh, poor set piece play. Agbana heading it in, and I, to be honest, I'm not too sure who's supposed to be mar- marking him. But what were your thoughts on the first goal? Yeah, they they bunched themselves really centrally in the in the in the middle, didn't they? And they made it hard for off, you know, it was our three midfielders, wasn't it? And as you said, it, you know. Our three midfielders went one way, two of their defenders went one way, and you know, Abona just seemed to get clear. I, I, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not a, a coach or a tactician, but it it, feel, it felt like obviously we've made the mistake and let that happen so early in the game. Um, it's not the worst time to concede. Obviously, you've got another 89 minutes to to claw it back, but yeah, it was it was a poor start start to the match concentration levels right at the beginning and uh you know they they took their chances they've they've you know they'd won two before tonight we'd lost two before tonight maybe that had a a part to play in it as well yeah and I, i think a lot of people look at our slow starts and of course that's one thing we definitely saw a lot of last season what are your kind of thoughts on that because i think um i know danny in the previous review pod we did last week his whole thing was we still haven't proven and i guess this game is another one where we've come back from adversity in the sense of we're down and we're going to come back and potentially get something out of it. Very rarely did we do that last season. This season we're turning the page, but where do you kind of stand on that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, is the name Aston Villa um, makes you think that we should be higher than we are, but really yeah, second season into the Premier League and to get those, those habits, whether that's, you know, in your work life or your personal life or in football as a team to get habits like that takes time. And um you know, yeah, it's, it's a boring stat this season. You know, every time that we've conceded first, we yet to to pick up any points. So it's really, really important for the team that they, you know, they can keep keep some clean sheets. I'm not sure particularly what the what the problem is, other than concentration. That that seems to be the only thing that I can I can I can think of um, because they've got all the all the attributes, and we've seen that. You know, especially at the start of the season, these aren't rubbish players they're, they're good enough to to be uh, you know to improve on where we where we finished last season 
it's just some of the concentration levels in what's been a, a weird season just in general in the Premier League. Yeah, and I, like I, I do ask that question, and then of course we kind of come on to the rest of the first half, where I think anyone, a neutral West Ham fan, a Villa fan, whoever is watching and spectating, can agree that Villa absolutely dominated the rest of the first half. Kind of answering some of those critics in a very short sample size, but nonetheless we took charge, and of course that man. Jack Grealish takes advantage. I don't know why anybody would ever give him that much space. Of course, it comes off a deflection, but nonetheless, a very well-taken goal. It's one on. You're kind of sitting there thinking, especially going to halftime, we're on top of this. So, Sean, what were your kind of thoughts on the goal and kind of going into halftime? Yeah, I, I was obviously... Uh, you, you could feel it coming, but you always think as an Aston Villa fan, it's going to come but not come, if that, if that if you make sense. Like, you just think, oh, we're just going to keep missing these. Um, but yeah, Jack, you know, he's so important to us, isn't he? And, and, and he's the one that, you know, gets a stupid deflection, similar to the game last season where he was on the end of the deflection. He gets the deflection this time when we get a little bit of luck and uh, and we get a goal back, which I thought at that point in the game, I thought we deserved um, to, 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 to at least be drawing. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, oh, come on, bring in the second half. We can, if we can keep more of this, then, then we'll go on, go on to, the, to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also very notable too, and especially going into the second half, which of course, a negative thing once again happens. But before we get into that, I think a very important note is to kind of applaud the performance, in my opinion, of Connor Hurrahan. Honestly, I didn't think he had a bad game whatsoever. Unlucky, honestly, probably not to score a couple. A uh, good thing for some goal, um, some good goalkeeping on the West Ham end. And of course, one hitting the side netting. So what was your thoughts on his performance this evening? I think we know what Connor can do. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, the only reason Connor is a better player than some of the players that get into the first team week in and week out. The problem is that is, you know, there's better players in front of him in those positions when everyone is fit, um, which is unlucky. You know, if, if Connor was the level that Connor is at, but he was a left back, a right back or, or a winger, then he'd be, you know, he'd play every single game. Um so, yeah, I rate Connor. Uh, he's at a good age now. He's at his prime and we know what he can do. He, he can distribute the ball well. He's not uh, the best defender, but he's not the worst defender. And he's and he's lethal at, at free kicks and you know he's going to get assists. And you know you're going to get goals over the course of the season when when he's playing. Um, it's just a shame that there isn't a system that, that, that we can fit everyone in. Yeah. But I, I prefer him being there than than what we did at the end of the Brighton game. We're putting Traore in number 10. You know, Connor should have come on in the last game. Yeah, and actually even um, kind of a little bit off topic, but might as well mention it because, of course, Traore did make an appearance uh, kind of skipping ahead here on a few important things. But, of course, he does come on. What do you make of him so far as life at Villa? Of course, we haven't seen him too much. It's been in spurts. And, of course, when we do see him, people kind of – mention inconsistencies and of course there's expectation of course for any player coming to any football club especially Villa so what have you made of him so far because to be honest and I feel like I've said this a million times I'm still not convinced that he even knows what his best position is no, I, de I definitely think his best position is you know an inside forward on the on the right wing um it's, he's had plenty of joy not last season with Leon but the season before you know some some really good return um on you know on rates of goals and stuff like that. So, um, but there's a, again on the other side, there's, there's a reason why they've they've let him go because um, he because he can be inconsistent. If he can get back to the best of where he where he's been in the past, then there's no reason why he can't be good enough for you know for a mid-table Premier League team. He needs a run of games, doesn't he? That's what he isn't getting at the moment. Um, 
but I think you know maybe after tonight's performance, he he'll get get some game time um, yeah. because you know Trez Trez made some some uh, big mistakes. Yeah. Do you do you think the whole and I don't want to take this too much from Leon fans because I know a lot of Leon fans were kind of happy to see the back of him saying he's very one footed. Do you think that whole remark against him kind of sits in some Villa fans mind? And I mean, it is kind of noticeable in some instances, but what are your kind of, where do you kind of stand on that? I think there's, there's plenty of footballers that are one footed. Um, if you've got one really, really, really good foot, then it doesn't matter. Um, it's just, about the way you're receiving it and the way you're putting your body, it doesn't necessarily just need to be about about you know the one foot. Um, and these are these are, these are high Premier League professionals. I don't think anyone's truly as as one footed as as it gets made out. I think it gets a little bit blown out of proportion. And I don't think we've seen enough of him to to really say. Yeah, no, that's exactly where I stand at it. I think you need someone to be in the team for a few games, playing almost a full 90 to kind of get some kind of inkling of where they can stand and scoring. Yeah, just a, look at Louise. Just look yeah, at like Louise. scoring a worldie against Bristol city. I think a lot of people are thinking we have the next Messi on our hands somehow. Like it just, <laughs> it just doesn't happen that way. And it, it, it does make me laugh when you see uh, fans and we'll kind of get into this with this game. Cause I think this exemplifies it for a lot of people, but I think with the quick success and early success we've had this season, I think it's kind of curved a lot of fans uh, I should say Villa fans expectations to be Europe. And I, I still don't understand that. Like considering, and we had this little chat uh, beforehand is look at where we were last season. We literally went to the stadium last season and barely stayed up. And I mean, we barely stayed up because well, Pepper ran and I just, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I don't want to kind of relive that. That almost gave me a heart attack, but uh to be going from where we were, we where we were, I should say, sorry, and to where we are now, it's a light years ahead. I think there was a stat before the game saying we're seven or eight points ahead of where we were at this point last season. So I think that has to put a lot of things into perspective. But uh, nonetheless, John, let's get on to the second half here. Of course, once again, I think we're kind of hoping we'd come out quick. And of course, West Ham make notable changes. They move back to a back four. You see Ben Rahama come on. You see Alaire come on as well, uh, changing some things up. And of course, it's the man that we were linked with all summer long that costs us yeah. the most here. You have Ben Rahama whipping in a very well ball, Bowen finishing off, and it's 2-1 inside the first few minutes in the second half. So what was your mindset at that point? Kind of same old, same old Villa? I think even, you know, as I said, going into the to, to the halftime whistle, I was feeling uh, confident. Uh, but obviously you see when the plays are coming out, you see, I saw, you know, I saw Ben Ramos stripped up and immediately had this this feeling in, in my gut that I was like, oh no, what's going to happen now? Um, because I just, I just felt like, you know, he was going to come up and punish us because it's just such a Villa thing to happen. Um, someone that, someone that we should have got. Um so, but I was still surprised that we were we were switched off again. You, you know, you think one of the things, you know, and I'm sure Dean Smith would have said it, uh, and I'm sure the guys would have said it, you know, even to each other. But saying it and, and it happening sometimes are different things. But I'm sure they always said, right, let's let's make sure the first five minutes we're at it again. Let's not concede early. I'm a hundred percent confident that would have been said at half time. But yeah, it's, it's again, it's, you know, I don't exactly know who particularly. To, to, to blame I, I just think it's concentration levels and um, sometimes football is just like that isn't it we've we've been the better team for 
88 minutes of the game. But I think it's it's interesting in the sense that now I'm thinking about it in this way is I almost feel like we feel games out. And I wouldn't say that's every game because you can look at the Liverpool game. And I mean, that's an anomaly. I, I don't know if there's any feeling out more than just pure goal scoring domination. I mean, you can kind of look at the Arsenal game too, in some sense and a few others this season and beyond, but um, you look at this game, it looked like a bit of a feeling out process. And then of course, West Ham makes, like I said before, a few substitutions, a formation change. And it's almost like we're kind of going over that whole process again and thinking, okay, there's a change. Let's ride this out and see how it goes. And once again, I, I think it just comes down to switching off and we've seen that again. And, and once again, like I said before, it's just kind of curving expectation. Realistically, I'm going to be happy with anywhere between 10 and 12th. So it's going to be a season of high and lows. I think a lot of teams have experienced that. Definitely teams that think they should be in top four are just struggling to get into the top 10. Like it's just a mad year. Like it is a mad world right now. So we'll kind of get on to the next thing. And that thing being the penalty, of course, kind of two quick fire questions here for you, Sean. One, do you agree with the penalty? Was it a penalty? And I guess two, what were your thoughts really on the penalty being taken? <laughs> um, first, personally, no, I don't think it was a penalty uh, or it was a very soft penalty. Um, I, w- I think I would have felt aggrieved if it had been the other way around. Uh, yeah, he does grab his shirt, but I think only slightly. Um, and I just, yeah, I would just think if it was if it was the other way around and that got given against us, uh, would they have been given against us in the past? You look at the the Bruno Fernandez one last season where he treads on our, one of our defenders' feet, but he gets a penalty. Um, so yeah, it, it was soft, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that's that's firstly what I think. And then in terms of the actual penalty itself. Obviously, it wasn't a good one. Um, Watkins, I think, you know, he, he heard Ben Rama say behind him, to, you know, Ben Rama was, was sat behind behind Watkins and Ben Rama shouted to the goalkeeper, he's going to go to his left uh, and pointed to his left and, and Fabianski sort of like took note of it. So I think he knew then that he obviously has to go to the right. Maybe it's, you know, he's not as comfortable shooting shooting to the right being, um, I think it's right footed, isn't he? Shooting right footed to the right. Um so yeah, he's, he's just fluffed it, but it, it's a game of such small margins. It's hit the bar, you know. That we're talking fractions of game with the VAR fra- fractions, and it, and it could have been, you know, a completely different result. But yeah, he's missed out, hasn't he? Yeah, it, it's an interesting one because, like, I think a lot. Well, it's so easy to criticize after I see people on Twitter, of course, and that's where everyone just goes to vent frustrations typically. And people are saying, "Oh, place it better." It's just like if you're in that situation. <laughs> let's see what happens right so yeah. it's one of those two and I think the thing with Watkins as well is I don't think I don't question the price tag personally but I think a lot of people have the expectation of who he scored against so your um, your Liverpool's your Arsenal's etc yes. etc et and I think they look at that and then they look at a situation like that and thinking like what are you doing kind of thing and to be honest he's still young he's still learning this is of course his first several games in the Premier League like there's still a lot to discover about this striker so once again I think it's just kind of curving expectation but the thing I was most impressed about was the fact that we continue to push on and not just sit back and you would see head drop heads drop this time last season if that happened or basically any time last season if this would happen and I think it's another theme Sean of the mindset's slowly changing. It's going to take some time to get things the way that the owners want and things way the way that Dean Smith wants. So 
once again, I think it's just another kind of learning lesson and a way to move on. But let's get on to probably the talking point that everyone wants to discuss because it, it's kind of, I hate talking about VAR because I feel like it's such a cop out when there's opportunities to be taken prior to it. But what are your thoughts on the offside? Because I'm still kind of questioning what the heck even happened. Um, for me, I'm not even lying now. Like, obviously, you guys are going to be talking on podcasts all the time, and I don't really talk on podcasts all the time. So, here's, here's my ten cents. It, it it's ruining football for me. Um, really, really is. Like, I love football. Football is my absolute passion. Um, I drive when when I can get to games. When 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 there's not COVID, you know, I drive two hours there, two hours back, um, and spend a lot of money and a lot of time. Uh, my you know my free time to to go and watch it and enjoy the team that I follow and. Uh, this system, I was I wanted to to be implemented. I was for VAR before before VAR was there, but now, uh, yeah, it's, it's ruining football. It, it's pedantic. It's it's crazy. It needs to be sorted out because I don't even know what the answer is. But the you know, there's surely there's a better way than this because I feel like the previous way before this was better than this. Um, yeah, we could talk and disagree, but uh, I I don't understand how how his arm is. How you know if that had touched his arm, it would have been handball like yeah. last season when 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 Tyrone Mings got that handball against him against Leicester. You know that was the same part of his arm that is now offside, but he can't touch the ball with that part of his arm. It, yeah, it's so frustrating. It's so weird. Like there's no, I th- see my biggest issue with it is there's no like the definition of what is and what isn't with VAR isn't a thing. And I don't know, even know if it ever was a thing when they initially brought this in and when the concept was originally kind of put out there because it, it's so subjective. And I think that's the issue. Like it either has to be one thing or another. It can't be this, that, or something else. Like there just can't yeah. be more than two variables. And there feels like there's 20. The thing that drives me nuts, well, I guess the multiple things is how long it takes. It shouldn't take that long. Second of all, you're drawing up lines that don't even exist from angles that don't even make sense. And it, it like you just And it's can't... hard because you know you start arguing about did um you know did he actually get the point on the opposition's elbow? You know, where they put the dots is that you know, where they put the dots is that right? So even if we're agreeing, okay, well it's the it's from the elbow, um, you know, did he put his dot actually on the actual elbow? Oh, that looks like it's it's you know a millisecond to the left of the elbow, but ours is on the elbow, and is that played with it? And yeah, it's frustrating. And you you know, put into fact that Agbonner had his hands all over Watkins. Exactly, he's pushed, you know, probably pushed him in, in the way, and that's why it needs to be subjective. I think that's a goal, mate. You know, football. It should it should always go with the, with you know there should always be a little bit of an attacking advantage. I think because you want to see goals. The same if, if it was the other way around and the attacker was there against us. I the first, I would try and make decisions based on if that was against me, would I feel aggrieved? And I think if I would have been the um, like last week with the with the tra- with the tra- uh, Traore penalty, I didn't think that was a penalty, so I wasn't that bothered about the VAR last week. Um, but this week, I think even if I'd been West Ham, I think they would have felt lucky with that. And I think a, a lot of West Ham fans would have said that's a, that, you know that's a that's a goal and wasn't offside. Yeah. Like uh, my girlfriend's granddad, he's from originally from that kind of West Ham area. So I have little kind of chats with him before and after every game. And he even said it, he felt very fortunate. And 
to be honest, he said they probably should have lost. So I think that that kind of puts perspective on the whole thing. It, it's another, it, it's a, it's so weird to say that we, we lost, but there's so many positives also to take. And I don't know if you could have said that last season because there were so many things given away where you wouldn't, didn't even have the opportunity to really enjoy it. The, the defense still needs improvement, but there's clear signs that things are improving. And once again, I, I think the main kind of point that we can kind of take from our chat here now is that things are improving and we just kind of have to sit there and wait. And you said it best, Sean, kind of before we started uh, recording was, it was, well, I guess you didn't say it in this way, but you almost have to kind of take everything with a pinch of salt, just kind of, long story short, enjoy the ride, take everything into perspective and just keep supporting the club. That's what we do. That's what we love. And that's why we're here. But before we kind of get uh, on to Neil in the second half and get you uh, off and of course, and off to bed, because I know you have to work early in the morning. Uh, who <laughs> right. is your man of the match? Uh, I think it was a difficult one. It's really, I'm going I'm to pick obviously Jack to be man of the match, um, but I'd like to give a shout out as well. I think it's obvious that Jack, Jack's the man of the match, yeah. um, even above any any West Ham players. But I think David Luiz as well gets a shout out. I think um, he's becoming really clever, really intelligent. Um, I think he could play if there was anyone in, you know more defensive in the midfield. He could quite easily be the number eight or the number ten. He, he, he's clever and he's got a passing range. He's he's a really good footballer. Uh, you could see him. You know, I'm not sure he speaks great English, but you can see him getting frustrated other players when they weren't doing what he wanted them to do. And and yeah, I was I was I was impressed with with uh, with Louise. Yeah, no, hundred percent. His distribution, his his movement on and off the ball. I think it's definitely yeah. something that definitely off the ball. It's not something you really notice if you're not paying in particular attention to him. So it's definitely great to see. And I, I think for me, um, I'll give my man the match when we have. I mean, Neil have our chat a little bit later on in the pod, but. I think also a special mention has to be mentioned with uh, Ollie Watkins. I mean, hard done by with the penalty, but again, another example of a game where his off the ball movement was, in my opinion, spectacular. He just, he opens up spaces that I, I think people don't even kind of bother to realize and even look out nice. for. And uh, it's just, it's great, great to see. Yeah. He set up a great opportunity for Trezeguet. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That was such an open goal. And that again, could have been another opportunity to, to claw it back to two, two. So you know, he, he, he's, he's been unlucky tonight. Yeah, it's just, it, well, I guess to sum it up, it's just great to have a striker, really, that uh, <laughs> makes those moves because it's no offense to uh, some in the past. It just hasn't really been that great since probably Tammy Abraham, arguably. So nonetheless, Sean, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you off here and hope you have a, a, a restful night, I guess you could say. <laughs> but uh, thanks for jumping on the pod and we'll uh, we'll get you on soon. Well, Villa fans, let's get on to the second half of this Holtcast episode, shall we? Of course, I kind of explained later on in the first half with Sean that we have, of course, Neil Dunworth from the For the Love of Pulmograph podcast on here to give us his thoughts. So we're doing a two-parter today. So, Neil, first of all, what are your thoughts on that game? I already kind of know speaking to you beforehand and before recording, but uh, let us know. I find that one tough to take. I find that one tough to take from the simple fact that we can't turn around and say we were hard done by by our own defending because the two times we needed to defend, we were devoid of any uh, of uh, of any defense, of any defensive structure. Uh, well, I won't even say the structure, but we 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 didn't have um, anybody willing to grab it by the scruff of the neck. Everything outside our penalty area outside our own penalty area in this game, everything outside it, we were brilliant. 
We were really, really good. I think everything outside it. Yes, we had a couple of mispa- misplaced passes. Yes, at times in the first half, we did let them run at us, but we were we were very good. Jack Reish was fantastic. And look, I, I'm not saying that every single person on the team played really well. It was a couple of people I thought didn't show up today as well. And, and look, I'm not going to stand here and, and you know it's not my my uh, my style to sit here and kind of uh, look for scapegoats and so on. But um, it's you know there, there's there's I, I just hate to see a lack of def- decisiveness from our, our big guys in, in those such simple moments. Like Ben Ram straight away after after halftime, laps of concentration. And to be honest with you, Ming should really be heading that ball. He kind of turns his back on the ball as it's crossed in. I, I don't even know what he's doing there for Bones goal. Uh, and even at the start of the game, I still, like when, you, when I look back at it so many times, I, I don't know who he's defending, what he's doing or where he's organizing for those two goals. And I'm only highlighting him because he's, He's the alpha dog. He's the big man. He's the he's the guy. I I just I look to and I go, you're, you know, you're our you're our leader there. You're you're our main man. And um, I just I just it was the two instances. He was very much there thereabouts. And and I think that maybe he could have uh, he could have done a bit more, uh, not taking anything else away from the way he played, um, but. It, it's 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 two games in a row whereby maybe he he hasn't made the correct decision or been too brave or not brave enough in certain instances and I don't know I don't know I'm just uh, uh, I love him I love Mings don't get me wrong but it's just we had two balls to defend and we didn't defend them and 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 nobody is is uh, nobody came up trumps in, in either of those instances I don't think but uh, as I say. You know, you got your alpha dog, you got your leader there, and I just, I, I'd expect a bit more organization there from, from, from my, my number one center half. Yeah, like when me and Sean spoke earlier on in the podcast, we kind of said that there's kind of an expectation of, well, curving expectation, basically. I, I think with, like I said before, I, I think with the quick success we've had earlier on in the season, um, and beating, say, Liverpool and Arsenal the way we did, I think a lot of people are kind of thinking that, Europe's a possibility or the, you know what the sky's the limit yada 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 and I think albeit like the best way I look at it is like look how we look where we were last season we stayed up by this like literally by the finest of margins and I think well I guess Borman fans would say by VAR but nonetheless mm-hmm. and then you go into this season and it's quick success and I, I think kind of that quick success has kind of papered over a lot of obvious cracks and we're still going to see that we're still definitely a work in progress and albeit I think uh, we're much better off than we were at this point uh, previously last season so I I think that's a positive but kind of to get on to Mings and maybe this is an interesting one and I was speaking to Danny um, on WhatsApp so I don't want to misquote him but uh, he was kind of under the impression that maybe he thinks Ming should be dropped from England for a bit based on his performances. And he's kind of noticing a lot of holes in his game. And now I'm starting to look at it and I'm not, I'm not putting saying Ming's out or anything like this, but I'm starting to look at Ezri Konza as the true leader in that back too. And I'm starting to see a lot more growth and development in his game compared to what I can kind of see from Ming's like, Neil, where do you kind of st- stand with him? Because I know you've kind of went on about him and gave your thoughts on him, but 
like if you're going out of those two and you're looking at who stays and who would go if you had to choose one like where do you really put it like for me i'd go with cons at this point i i look i i i know I, i'm nowhere near the who stays and who goes thing there and i know what you're saying if, if you had to like literally if a gun gun to your head um i'd be saying shoot me and keep both of them yeah. Because they're, they're, more, they're way more pivotal to Aston Villa, in my opinion. Um, no, look, I'm, look for, for me, it's, uh, I'm just highlighting those two instances. As I said, I really like Tyrone Mings. I really, uh, I suppose, really, it's, it's the, Jack Grealish said it. And uh, Jack Grealish said the pressure is a privilege. And when we see with Jack Grealish coming back from, from his international duty, that the game seems to have even slowed down even more for him. He can do things with the ball. He's been doing things with the ball. He did beautiful things tonight. That turn on the edge of the box, that was just sublime. You know, little things like that. And and, and I think what, with, with recognition like that in a position whereby, you know, there aren't that many left-footed centre-halves that are as good as Tyrone Mings, because let's not get away from the fact that Tyrone Mings is a bloody brilliant defender. Yeah. Um, there aren't that many left-footed uh, centre-halves uh, like Tyrone Mings, and he's after getting his place in the England squad, and uh, he knows he got to keep it, and I think he will keep it. Uh, kind of, I, I've deviated from your from your question. <laughs> it's all but, good. It's all the, good. <laughs> the, the reason that I, I'm kind of deviating from it is that um, I, I look to the sample size that I'm discussing here. Realistically, just kind of speaking about uh, like four or five minutes of lapsed concentration. Uh, for me, and he wasn't—he wasn't the fault for the first goal, you know. I—I no. I, can't—and he wasn't wasn't the fault for the second goal. I just maybe I'm expecting him to be Superman, and maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's my problem, but uh, I, I don't think that I, you know, Tyrone Mings is a better defender than Ezra Concept based on that. Uh, like if if we were to be talking about this in July of last year, people would have said Ezra Concept at right back is is not is not good, and then yeah. he moves into the center half beside beside Mings. And, and he becomes a, a really, really good defender, and we absolutely love him. But I think what it really highlights as well is that Villa are going through a sticky patch. They've lost four of their last five, and we are, as as a fan base, are probably at this at, at the point whereby you know we can maybe call out mistakes, so we can we can maybe expect a small bit better of people because of our of our high start to the season to the season because. Uh, I, I, I never have a problem with conceding world-class goals. Um, I never have a problem. I have no problem with it, with, with the um, three out of the four um, Southampton goals. I had no problem with Bamford's two belters against Leeds. I had a problem with them scoring, but the way that they were scored, I went, listen, you got to take your hat off. They're fantastic goals. But when we see three goals in... in uh, I, I had no problem with Sonny March's goal. It was just a really good goal. It was, he's never going to score a goal like that again. But when you see the Danny Welbeck goal, when you see the two goals from tonight, I'm just expecting more from our players because they weren't outstanding goals and there's always something we can do. The reason I'm highlighting Mings, I think, really is maybe because maybe it's my own frailty and the fact mm-hmm. that it's it's like it's like a daddy complex or something. I'm going like, Daddy, why didn't you save us? Why didn't you rescue <laughs> us from the goals? Because he's such an alpha male in that dressing room. He's such, like, you see him. He's the biggest, biggest man on the team. And... Uh, 
maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to go, why did I spout all this rubbish <laughs> on the whole cast? But uh, I think that's where I'm coming from now. But uh, yeah, so that was my best politician's job of not of trying to deviate around and not answer the question that you ask because I don't ever want to think of Tyrone Rings leaving this team this team because I bloody love him as a player. Um, I just love him even more um, if he had said on that second cross that came in. Yeah, no, like... I'll be clear, and I, I think I said this before, maybe I'm just losing my mind because I feel like that's just been my day today, and especially after watching that. I'll be clear. I do not want Tyrone Mings out of this team. I do not want to lose or sell Tyrone Mings. I am not Tyrone Mings out. It's simply, I think, and you said it best and how it kind of links together is we're kind of almost like a supplement of our own success in the sense that with this success, now we have higher expectations. So like you said, we can criticize these players more. We did it last season, but it was more from, okay, let's just stay up. Let's ride this thing out and let's just see what we can do and build on from there. We're now up onto the next kind of part of the totem pole of where we want to be. Maybe we even skipped a step. Who knows? It's, it's yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. We can determine that at the end of the season. I think the thing is, and the thing I kind of pointed at Konza and saying, the fact that he steps up is now that when we look at Mings and say we blame him for X, Y, or Z things. And to be fair, he had an all right game and there's other things. I mean, everyone has an error in them. No one has a perfect game. It's, it's very rare that that happens that someone has a 10 out of 10 game, but it's also good to kind of look and say, okay, well, if Mings did something wrong here, well, Konza stepped up and was a leader here. Like, mm, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's, it's the process of kind of going up the ladder. We're seeing the developments of certain players. And that's great to see, because if you're just kind of going like, I mean, like what we do with Jack Grealish, and it's kind of the exception to say, perfect, 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 or absolutely brilliant. And then you look at the other side of the pitch, like we used to say with Trezeguet and say like, what's he doing? What's going on there? We see him step up as well. So it's kind of just, we're just kind of just going through the motions this season. And I think the up and downs, I think last season was just a lot of downs and just staying up was like the one bright spot this season. We're experiencing so much fluctuation. I think everyone's kind of wondering if something's going on with them because we don't really know what to expect from game to game. But Neil, to kind of we'll get on to the hot topics because with uh, with Sean, we already kind of went over the whole game in its entirety with its key points. But I think what a lot of people want to know, Neil, and we'll start with the penalty is I already asked this to Sean, but do you think it was a penalty? And what were your thoughts on Ollie Watkins taking it? Because I think a lot of people, even before him taking it, were a little suspect of that. Um, it was a penalty. As was the VAR when at the very end it was a penalty more so than an offside. You know, if VAR is there to get it right, um, he was pushed into an offside position at the very end. He's grabbed in a headlock and they rule out a goal for Aston Villa. The first one was a pull of the chart. It was ha- look, it was harsh, but uh, Trezeguet goes to go- goes to ground. It, it is a penalty. Look. You know, we saw we've we've seen uh, softer ones given. We've seen more blatant ones not given. I don't know is the answer called because nobody knows what the hell is a penalty anymore because of VAR. Um, I'm just delighted that they didn't drag it out for so long with that penalty decision like they did because I'm sure if they looked at it for longer, long enough, they would have seen that there was a a clear well, well what is described as a clear, um, I suppose what's the word, uh, dissonance between 
when Declan Rice pulls his shirt and when Trezeguet goes down, there's a little bit of a break. So he pulls it, he kind of lets go, Trezeguet goes down. And when you slow stuff down like that and you can see it, you can convince yourself that he pulled the shirt and then a second or two later, Trezeguet goes down. So it was a dive. Look, I, I really don't know, Cole, is the answer to your question. I have no <laughs> idea. With regards to uh, with regards to the penalty, I was confident he was going to stick it. Um, there's a couple of people have the knives out for him because he's uh, he's missed four penalties out of six in his career. Strikers should want to take penalties. If that is two inches lower, goes in after crossbar, I'm not a massive fan of going that high with a penalty anyway um, because, uh, just look, it, it just... It just mitigates, um, it mitigates, uh, I suppose, disaster if you go lower. Whereby, if you miss, the, if you miss, you miss. Um, but when you go high like that, you have the opportunity to slide over the bar, and, and you kind of have to go go with more power when you go high like that. But uh, he'll take more penalties in his time. Um, and uh, yeah, as I say, missing the penalty is one thing, um, but everything else that transpired, I don't think it a particularly good game. Uh, Ali Watkins, uh, I, I wasn't, he didn't get as involved as I would like him to. He didn't get as involved as he did before the, the international break when he was holding up, playing off a lot. He was taking balls out of the air. He was holding off defenders. Um, but he'll come good. I'm, I'm really, really happy with what I've seen from him so far. And the penalty misses aside, he stuck one recently for us against uh, Arsenal. So whatever his record was for Brentford, I'm... I'm brushing that under the carpet. His record for us is one and one, and uh, yeah, I've I've no problem with uh, with him taking penalties in the future. Yeah, I think. Well, you know what, it's, strikers should take penalties. You know, it's yeah, yeah. I, I think I think a lot of people just look at it, Neil, and say, well, it's like everything with Villa. It's like why isn't Grealish doing this and taking that? I think everyone just looks at that as being kind of the onyx expectation and see what's actually going to happen, but like you said, strikers are going to take penalties. Like I, I can't really think of many teams where the striker doesn't, to be honest, it's very rare and far and few. So with that kind of looking at it, it should he have done better? Like it, it's up to the eye of the beholder. It's easy to assess it after it happening. I would like to see a lot of us step up and do that. And I feel like I know if I probably stepped up, it'd probably go way over or way to the right, but that's just me. So like, it's easy to criticize after I'm not one for criticizing that because you know what he is. It's a 50 50. He has just as much chance of scoring it or missing it. So at the end of the day, it is what it is, but kind of moving on to, I guess, like we've touched on briefly in this, in this chat is of course the final VAR decision for offside. And I guess we'll just kind of go to you and I'll let you kind of um, go away with it. What were your thoughts on it? Because there's so many things to consider, like, who knows what's an offside anymore? Um, where do these uh, invisible lines come from? Does Agbana holding him, pushing him have anything to do with it? So like, Neil, just let us know, what are your thoughts on that? And where do you stand? It's if, if you kick a ball off a defender and hits off his hand and goes into the goals, the goal stands. Um, I don't uh, like, I don't know how to fix this. I'm out of ideas. I'm bereft of ideas. I really am so bereft of ideas. Like, you can tell they, we're doing this right after the game. <laughs> but the, the problem here is called, you see, like when you go back and you watch it, you see how many times they move the line. Yeah. How can they be sure that they have the line in the right position? 
Well, like, and the you, angles too. It, it's like one angles. one's like straight, one's a little bit to the right, one's a little bit to the left behind the players. <laughs> well, I, I, that's that's because vectoring. I I've, I am slightly familiar with CAD call and 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 <laughs> AutoCAD, and, I, and it's the dual kind of vectoring perspective like that when, when you're drawing three D models and so on. But um, for me, it's like they don't have a definite a definite datum point. Uh, bringing it all the way back to to a previous profession that I used to be in in architectural technology, they don't have a de- defined datum point that they can get in there. There, they're basically they're basically um, like when I used to work in 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 the architectural business, we used to sometimes you would draw an outline map from an actual scanned in map, and it was bloody impossible to get it right. And then when you go out and you try and try and measure the field that you were drawing from a map from an actual printed map, you could be out by four feet you know you could be you could depending on the scale of the map so what i'm talking about here is these guys are drawing lines from somewhere based off uh, a photograph essentially yeah. is what they're doing and then they're making decisions on it and these decisions are hair's breadth type decisions so i don't know how to fix it other than like you go back into the rule book and you talk about the words clear and obvious the pmgol actually have just come out and have just said that they did review during VAR Ogbana, Ogbana's, uh, the fact that Ogbana was holding Watkins and deemed it not to be a foul. So oh we go we go back, Cole, we go back to the previous question you asked me. Was Trezeguet a foul? Well, that was there, was, there was minimal contact there. And, you know, at times I looked at it and I went, oh, I don't know, I think they'll overturn this. This is, this is pretty much guaranteed contact in the box from a defender who's behind the attacker. And actually pushes the attacker into an offside position, and well, they give a penalty for it. They so our first game this year, Sheffield United, didn't John Egan get sent off for something close exactly to that? Exactly like, like that. Yeah. My biggest fear with this whole VAR thing and referee calling whatever you want to say and call it. When I look at it, it's well, I, like I said with Sean, it's so subjective. But like, it's almost like okay, I gave you the that one, so I can't give you this one. You know what I mean? It, it's like, how do you? I don't know. How do you officiate? How do you call something based on that? Like, it's just the leniency on one thing versus the next. It's, I don't know. I just think it completely ruins the game in the sense that the referee doesn't know what to call and when to call it. And to be fair, like we'd still complain if VR didn't exist and it didn't go for us, of course, but we know like what is happening. It is what it is. Like there's nothing to really debate after that with this, there's, 10,000 different topics with it and there's no definitive answer until like basically what over an hour after the match like it's it's crazy it's it's disheartening more so than anything else and, and like I'm, st- I'm I'm still here calling and I, I paused uh Carragher and uh and Neville after the game and uh I can see like I, I just pressed play before so I've got it's, I can just see and I can see how animated they are when they're discussing it they're really animated about it. These two guys are, are, you know, I don't need to say that they're two ex, two respected ex-professionals. And if they're adamant that it was a penalty and that it shouldn't have been an offside, which it looks like to be, it looks like Carragher is really making the point about this. Then what are the referees seeing? What are the people in Stockley Park seeing? And and look, I'm kind of sick of talking about it. I've I I just realised that last week on my own podcast I mentioned that I think I've got a victim syndrome, a victim complex because of VAR, and I always feel like I'm the victim. <laughs> and today I've just said that I've got a daddy complex because I look up to the Tyrone Mings. 
like <laughs> football messes with your mind is what I'm getting from this and and uh, it's like they're not they're not doing the game any favors with this because uh, and, and remember my rant I went on with Danny a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing it and, and essentially like I wanted VAR so 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 much because I thought that it was the silver bullet the way that it's being implemented uh, the way that it's being implemented with those three stupid words that have really come back to bite everybody in the game clear and obvious those two those three words uh, it's just it's 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 causing um it's 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 causing so much silliness and silly discussion we should be talking about um we should be talking about the game of football and not um the officiating of the game of football because um it's not about the referees. It's not about Stockley Park. It's not about um, vector lines drawn um, in a pseudo AutoCAD version on, on a photograph. It's not about that. Kids don't want this. Kids aren't going to remember that. Kids aren't going to grow up wanting to be, I want to be that guy, that, that defender that stops running and gets a guy offside. You know, I always wanted to be that. When I saw that on TV, that's what made me want to be a centre half. That's... Like, that's ridiculous, you know, and, and essentially that's the way the game is going at the moment now, whereby um, you can't celebrate goals, you can't, uh, you know, everything has to be over-scrutinised and, and and I suppose the protocols and so on like that are so ambiguous that when over-scrutiny leads to, um, leads to what we've seen tonight. Yeah, so I, I guess to kind of move on briefly and before we wrap things up here, Neil, is obviously like the obvious answer is we've lost two on the bounce, but in your opinion, like where does this leave leave us kind of heading into Newcastle? I think this, I think, I think we're still fine, you know. Um, we're still on, on target for where I've always said and I always wanted us to be at the start of the, at the start of the season. I don't think our um I don't think our outlook on our season changes by these last four games because, as I say, we were initially beaten by world-class goals. We were, um, we have been the masters of our, of our own downfall in, in certain aspects, but we were difficult to score against uh, at the start of the season. I have no doubt that we've become difficult to score against again. And uh, I think that if we can mitigate the need to have to rely on VAR, that we would push on, push on again. The thing about Newcastle on Friday night, we're looking here now, they're not going to be allowed, allowed training until late in the afternoon on Wednesday because of COVID outbreaks and they haven't trained since, I think, middle of the week or start of the week last week. So these guys won't have trained going into this game. Maybe it mightn't even be on. I personally think that the, that the FA will make them play it, um, even if it's a group of 23s uh, that, that, that take the field. So look, that's in our favour. I'd be hoping that, that this game is played um, and it's played on Friday night because we want to get back onto the field and try and um, try and erase the memories, get another game under, under our belt again because we have a busy season coming up uh, very, very soon and we've got obviously Wolves the week after next. So I, I wouldn't like us to have a massive long break going into Wolves. I'd like us to get back up on the horse again and, and, and play against Newcastle. But look, safety of players, the... the the, that that is paramount, and, and I'm sure the FA will make some sort of a ruling on it over the coming days whether the game will go ahead. But it looks like it will at the moment, regardless. And uh, yeah, as I say, Aston Villa, Aston Villa just need to we need to get get back up on the horse again and, and get another three points on the board uh, very soon. Yeah, well, hopefully the FA figure out something soon because it definitely makes our uh, lives as podcasters very interesting when you <laughs> <laughs> want to make content dependent on said yeah. games. But uh, nonetheless, Neil, actually, right before we wrap things up, who is your man of the match? 
Uh, Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish is the best player on the field tonight um, by a long, long, long way. Uh, he's the best player on the field every night. Sometimes we give we give man a match to to people like Trezeguet for his effort and endeavour or Ollie Watkins who he scores a hat-trick. But everybody deep down knows that when Jack Grealish takes the field, he's man a match. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, like I, I, Sean said Grealish too. I can disagree with that in any facet. I mean, the man is miles and miles and kilometers whatever metric you want to use um he is way above everyone else and even some games when you're facing the likes of Salah, Mane, whoever it may be in the Premier League De Bruyne uh, I guess we have yet to see on that one this season but we never know um he's he's up there with the best of them and it's clear he has the talent to go to the top but nonetheless yeah I'll go with Grealish as well didn't really do anything wrong does he really ever it feel like I mean the man is just it's a pure joy to watch. And I think it's one as Villa fans, we just have to enjoy the time we have with them. Cause like in life and anything, you never know when that time is up to really enjoy that. And you don't want to wait till it's too late, but nonetheless, of course, thanks to Neil for coming on. Of course, if you want to find him on Twitter, it's at love McGrath pod. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at talk Aston Villa tweet us at 7,500 to Holt email us holtcast at gmail.com. We'll leave it there. And of course, look out for the Newcastle preview. Hopefully soon. Uh, we'll wait to hear on that one, but nonetheless, up the Villa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.